open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and if you are able and do not mind, uh, let's stand together to honor God's word as I read tonight. Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from, that he is, is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you, now watch the next statement, okay, into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. They came and helped him by the feet and worshipped him. And by the way, all of us will do that when we see him face to face. Amen. And we worship him tonight. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my disciples that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now drop down to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee and to a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, the infallible, inspired word of God. Now, Lord, you have promised to bless your word, and I know you're going to do that. Now, I pray, dear Lord, that you would anoint my mind that I could think right, my lips that I could speak right, but most of all, my heart that I would be right. And I pray that, dear God, that tonight we have sung the praises of you. We have heard about missionaries. And Lord, I believe all of this glorifies you. Now, I pray that the preaching of your word tonight will bring glory to you. And we'll praise you for whatever you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of history's greatest summit meeting. Now, if you want to have some fun, just Google summit meeting. And uh, you'll find some great summit meetings. And in the history of mankind, there have been many great summit meetings. Let me mention just a couple of them. In 1918, after the end of World War I, and contrary to some of your beliefs, I was not here then, okay? But uh, 
uh, they, they, all, leaders from all over the world got together and they formed the League of Nations and they informed us that wars are all over. There'll never be another war. There's not been a day since 1918 that there hasn't been a war someplace. Again, in 1945, and I was here then, okay? After World War II, the leaders again from all over the world got together and they formed the United Nations. We're all united now. We're not going to have any more problems. Uh, we're going to work out everything, no more wars and so forth. And to my knowledge, the United Nations has done nothing to help anybody, okay? Uh, that, that's just my opinion, okay? You can have yours and be wrong if you want to, okay? <laughs> But tonight, I want us to think about history's greatest summit meeting. Uh, the first Sunday after the crucifixion, burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, some women got together and decided early Sunday morning that uh, we are going to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. They had their spices, and it, it was a, probably 75 pounds of spices and so forth. Now, I've, I've always wondered why they did that, okay? Because I am sure that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had prepared the body of Jesus for the burial. And for the life of me, I've never been able to figure out why the women thought they had to do it again, other than the fact they probably got together and said, men can't do anything right. So uh, uh, we're going to do it right. So I don't, I don't know what prompted them to do that, okay? But I do know as they were going to the tomb, uh, the big problem was, how are we going to roll away that big stone? I mean, the stone that covered the mouth of that tomb, huge. And the women could not do that. And uh, guess what? When they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And by the way, it wasn't rolled away so he could get out. Because he walked through doors, he could have walked through that stone, amen. It was rolled away so we could see that it's empty. I'll never forget a trip to Israel, one Jewish guy said there is some controversy about where the body of Jesus was laid, which tomb and so forth. But he said, that really, now think about it, he's a Jewish guy. It doesn't make any difference. He's not in either one of them, amen. <laughs> he's not here. He is risen. And then he said, now, now go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. Now they met some other places before that. And then as they were going, Jesus met them and he said, uh, go tell my brethren to meet me at Galilee. Now, why did he want them to go to Galilee? Because at Galilee, he was going to give them his mandate for his disciples to evangelize the world. So look at it, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And I believe in this verse we have the 
greatest summit meeting in the history of mankind. Now, it was not great because a lot of world leaders, great leaders, national leaders from all over the world got together. It wasn't great because of the size of it. We know the 11 disciples were there. There might have been others there, I'm not sure. But it wasn't great because of the size of it. But it was great because of who was there. Jesus. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The virgin-born Son of God. The one that lived an impeccable life and died on Calvary's cross for the sins of the whole world. He was there. It was great because of who was there. And it was great because of the purpose. Why did Jesus want his disciples to meet him at Galilee? The last words that Jesus uttered were these before his death on the cross. It is finished. I think in the Greek language, uh, that's just one word, tetelestai. An artist would finish a painting, put the final touches, step back and say, tetelestai. Uh, a mortgage would be paid, it would be stamped. Tetelestai, it's finished. Thank God Jesus said, it is finished. I have done everything my Father sent me to the world to do. I have lived a perfect life. I have defeated Satan on every hand. I have suffered on Calvary. They have crucified me. The sins of the whole world were placed upon me. I suffered and bled and died. And I have been resurrected from the grave. And everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved has been done. Thank God we have a finished salvation. Amen. It is done. It is done. When we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are saved for eternity. Now think about it. I've done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. By the way, I believe from the depth of my heart that when Jesus shed his rich red royal blood on Calvary's tree, that that blood was sufficient to save everybody who had ever been born or would ever be born. My little children, these things write on you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. God is not slack concerning his promise. It's meant some men trying to say it. But his long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who died for all, 
My dear friend, I believe Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Now, he said, I've done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. Now, I'm committing into your hands the disciple. That's us tonight, okay? I'm committed into your hands. The privilege and the responsibility of getting this gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. I meet people every once in a while and say, my problem is I don't understand the Bible. Let me quote one verse and see if you can misunderstand one word in it. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I think it was Mark Twain said, it's not what I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me. What bothers me is what I understand and I'm not doing. The great gathering. Then look at the great proclamation in verse 8, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. I have authority over demons. I have authority over nature. I have authority over diseases. I have authority over... It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus said, all authority is given unto me. And by the way, if he had not said that, verse 19 and 20 would have been a literal impossibility. But because he said it, it is not only a possibility, it is a reality. Thank God he didn't say to his disciples, now just go and do the best you can. My dear friend, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what your grade point may be. Uh, without Jesus, you can do nothing. I, I think so often of John 15, 5. I'm the vine. You're the branch. He that abideth in me bringeth forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Think about it. Jesus said, all authority is given to me. Now look at the end of verse 19. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. What a great promise. Amen. You think about it. When we are involved in the Great Commission, supporting the missionaries that was mentioned tonight that you be taking on for support, uh, training the missionaries, uh, churches giving so the missionaries can go. When we are involved in the Great Commission, we are working with omnipotence. I mean, he has all authority. Uh, we can do nothing of our own, but God can do through us whatever he pleases. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now for a few minutes, look at the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. 
Now, the word teach is used twice here. This particular instance, it's talking about making disciples. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all ethnic groups. All ethnic groups. And there's thousands of them. How do you make a disciple? That's our job. My job and your job. You are a disciple. Our job is to make disciples. How do you make disciples? Number one, you evangelize. You get people saved. And by the way, we aren't always to be involved in bringing others to Jesus. Jesus said, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. So either we're involved in fishing for men or we're not following God. How do we make a disciple? We evangelize them. We go soul winning. Uh, we knock on doors. Uh, we preach on the street corner. We do whatever is necessary to evangelize the world. By the way, nowhere in the Bible did God command the, the lost people to come to church. But he did command us to go to the lost. Evangelize or die. How do you make a disciple? After people get saved, you baptize them. You don't sprinkle them. You don't pour water over them. You baptize them. Okay? Then you teach them to do what Jesus taught his disciples. He said, now I'm teaching you what to do. Now after that, you, then you teach those that are getting saved and baptized and disciples, you teach them what they are supposed to do. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy. That which thou hast received among many men, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, it is a continual, perpetual thing. Generation after generation. And here we are, 21 generations after, or 21 centuries after the Great Commission. What's happened? Already in heaven, there are millions of souls. You say, well, I don't, I don't think there's going to be many people saved. Just a few of us. I know some people that think like this. I'm not sure about anybody except you and me. And I'm not real sure about you, okay? <laughs> somebody said, if you get to heaven and see somebody you didn't expect to be there, don't look too shocked. They might be just as shocked to see you, okay? <laughs> you say, how do you know they're going to be me? Revelation chapter 7. An innumerable multitude of people are praising God in heaven. Nothing happened to the League of Nations. Nothing happened to amount to anything. United Nations. But those disciples went everywhere preaching the gospel. And now, generation after generation after generation is preached, and there are millions of people in heaven because they did what God told them to do. Uh, churches have been started all over the world. We meet here today 
But you may go to China and you may have to find an underground church. Uh, you may go to other places and have very meager means and very small buildings and so forth. But thank God they're churches. There are hundreds of thousands of churches all over the world started by disciples like you and like me. Not only that, schools have been started all over the world by disciples of the Lord. They were just doing what Jesus told them to do. Uh, every great school in America, all of the Ivy League schools, were started by godly people to, get, to train people to get the gospel around the world. Now, you wouldn't know it now. You see, liberals don't start things. They steal them. Okay? So schools, churches, hospitals, orphanages. Liberals don't care about things like that. That's the disciples of the Lord that are doing those things. How do you make disciples? You teach them to do what we were taught to do. Real quickly, how can we as Campus Church be totally involved in fulfilling the Great Commission? It's real simple. Doesn't matter how many mission summons you have, they all boil down to three simple things. Number one, all of us can go. Now, I'm not saying all of us can go to the mission field, but all of us can go somewhere. Jesus said it very plainly just before he ascended up to heaven. He said, by the way, they wanted to talk about his coming again. When are you going to set up your kingdom? Uh, let's don't worry about that, he said. Let's have a mission conference. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And those were his last words before his ascension. In other words, every disciple, a witness. Every disciple. You may not can go to Japan, Korea, the Philippines, Taiwan, wherever, but you might go to another room in your house and witness to a loved one that's not saved. You might go across the town. Or in the case of many of you, if you will listen carefully to God tonight, many of you will be going to some of the unevangelized areas of the world. But all of us should go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. By the way, all of us can pray. In fact, Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. In other words, we're in the family. We can talk to God anytime. He's our Father. Where, how are we doing in that matter? So all of us should pray for missions. Could I ask you tonight, if every morning you would dedicate just five minutes 
praying for the evangelization of the lost people of the world. We can all go somewhere. And thank God we can all pray. And then we can all give. Every Christian ought to be giving something every week for world evangelization. And every Christian ought to be giving at least 10% of their income for the work of God in their local church. Hey, by the way, it's working. All over the world tonight, preachers are preaching the gospel. When you go to bed tonight, some of them will be getting up. Some of them are sleeping now while we're awake. But all over the world, the gospel is being preached. Let me tell you one simple story just to show you the joy of being a missionary. When we started the Sydney Newtown Baptist Church, a high school girl got saved. Her name was Michiko Yamashiro. Her dad was a Shinto priest. Uh, he was the tendikyo form of Shintoism. They, they didn't like Americans. They didn't like Christians. And uh, anyway, uh, little by little, I began to visit the home. And eventually, Mr. and Mrs. Yamashiro came to our church. And one Sunday, after I finished preaching, Mr. Yamashiro walked down the aisle, he and his wife, and they said, Teacher, we want to take your Jesus as our Savior. He became one of the most godly, happy, victorious Christians I've ever met in my whole life. If God would let you be a missionary, don't say, but, no. I've had older preachers say to me, I tell young preachers, if they come to me and say, I think God wants me to be a preacher, I tell them, if you can do anything else, don't preach. And I thought, that's dumb. I tell them, if you can preach, don't do anything else. If you can be anything else, don't go to the mission field. No, no, no. If you can go to the mission field, don't even think about doing anything else. You've heard this story, William Borden. Went on a trip around the world, got a burden for missions. Dedicated his life as a missionary. Wrote in his book, his Bible, no reservation. Came back to Yale, graduated, did all kind of great things while he was in university. And his family thought he'll become president of our company, Derry, Borden Berry Company. But he wrote in his Bible, no retreat. He died early in his, just studying the language. But before he died, he wrote under the words, no reservation. No retreat, no regret. I've been in the ministry 68 years. I've been in full-time missionary ministry for 58 years. And I can say tonight, if I had it to do over again, I'd do it. Being 
where God wants you to be is worth more than all 